This is Paladin Financial Talk with Jeff Foley and the Paladin Financial Team. Basically, the more accounts you have, the more opportunities there are for mistakes. So taking control of your assets may help you to avoid some of those common mistakes that investors make. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals, your money, and your plans in perfect harmony. And now, here's Paladin Financial Talk. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Foley with Paladin Financial, and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Paladin Financial Talk. We've got a great show today. Uh, I'm sitting in the chair of our normal co-host, Mr. Tony Shore. Uh, who is out of the office here today. So kind of like this over here, all these buttons and things. I won't make any fun noises, but uh, we have a special guest with me here today, Joe Norlin. Uh, Joe is a CPA, Certified Public Accountant. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. I think this is your first time, isn't it? This is my first time here with you, yeah. Yeah. We've known each other for a long time, done a, a lot of tax stuff together. and Correct. Joe uh, prepares our taxes each year, so I very much look forward to that meeting with you. Me too. Every year. Too. We're, we're due here pretty soon. Yes. Um, so, yeah, we're going to talk today about taxes and uh, our lap, last episode that I was on anyway, a couple weeks ago, we talked about estate planning and state taxes a little bit. So there'll be a little bit of crossover some of the, the topics there with estate taxes. But we talk a lot on the show and work with our clients. We talk about a three-piece pie. So we have... Uh, the holidays behind us right now, and a lot of pie was consumed, at least in the Foley household. So I talk about a three-piece pie. You have your financial plan, you have your estate plan, and you have your taxes. And we want to make sure that those three pieces are working well together and it's integrated and thought through and those are not walking in three different directions. So taxes and estate planning you know, dovetail very well. Uh, and we look at assets and everything that we do from an asset perspective has a tax implication, whether it's now or somewhere down the road. So if you're talking with Correct. someone, Joe, and you should contribute to your IRA or Roth IRA, that has a tax implication this Absolutely. year, but also down the road. So uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And it's not just about the money when we talk about transferring things to heirs, let's say kids to keep it simple, but could be someone else. It's not just about the money, is it? Correct. There's a, a lot more moving parts that go into that. Uh, what we don't want to do is hand people, uh, a friend of mine, Jane, she uses the analogy of you've got the ball of Christmas tree lights that you rewind back up at okay. the end of the season. You don't want to hand that over to someone and it's a big, big mess. Um, we want to have that organized. We want to avoid probate, something we talked about on the last show, and make sure things are pretty smooth. Um, so the taxes have a big place in that as well. Uh, talk a little bit about gifting, Joe, because that's something that comes out a lot in transferring wealth and their gifting limits. How does all that stuff work? So first off, I like the pie analogy. Um, are you a fan of pie? I am a fan of okay, pie. And okay. In fact, some of the paladin pies I've received in the past are very tasty. <laughs> so thank you for those. Um, but it, it takes me back uh, a little bit back in my career when I was doing public accounting and I would have peers who would work with our clients and they were so tax focused that everything revolved around tax and the answers to everything were tax based. And as much as that was an important piece, um, from my perspective, it was always listening to the client and hearing them. And there was so much more to it than just what the correct tax answer was. Yep. It was important 
from my perspective as a tax advisor with them to make sure they understood tax ramifications, but that didn't necessarily mean that that was what we were going to do uh, because of so many other things and like the different pieces of the pie. So even outside of the financial and the estate and the tax, there was a, a personal feel to it as well. Yeah. Um, they might have felt like doing something was the right thing to do, even though it might not have given them the best tax answer. That's, um, a, that's a great point. And yeah. I found that clients appreciated the fact that I wasn't just trying to uh, steamroll them with tax. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, I like to tell people, don't let the tax tail wag the dog, so to speak. Correct. Taxes are important, but it's not, That's right. not everything. Yeah. Agree. Um, so gifting, how does that work? You have limits that come into play with, Correct. with gifting assets to people and what should people be aware of with that? So from a gifting perspective, um, the gift tax and the estate tax are intertwined, but from a gift perspective, um, a person can give up to $18,000 worth of value to a person in 2024. And I say in 2024 because in 2025, it will be a different number. Mm-hmm. The IRS will adjust that from an inflation perspective. Um, I think 2023 was like 17.5, um, but 2024 would be 18,000 and that's per person. And the significance of that number is I can give $18,000 to as many people as I want to um, without incurring any gift tax reporting responsibilities. Mm-hmm. As soon as I go over $18,000 to one person, then I will have to file a gift tax return. So let's say I give $20,000 to two people. So I'm, I've given $40,000 total. Mm-hmm. Because I went over 18, that will require me to file a gift tax return. Okay. Got it. And I'll report a gift that will net to $2,000 for each person. Mm-hmm. Uh, the netting is important because, well, let me ask this. Do you think then, Jeff, that that will require uh, a tax payment or will I incur a tax liability because of that? Uh, it depends on what type of tax. Yeah, but yeah, you have gift taxes. You've got to yep. pay on that 2000 So the, the answer yeah. to that would be that in theory, you likely wouldn't because if you haven't then exceeded your lifetime, lifetime. exclusion, yep. it would just reduce that. Yeah. So not to make this a long convoluted answer, <laughs> but they play together. That's where I said when I started talking how they're intertwined. So the $18,000 is the amount that determines whether or not I have to file a gift return. Mm-hmm. If I'm required to file a gift return during the course of completing that form, it will determine whether I've incurred a liability or not. Yep. And for many people, the, the lifetime exclusion uh, in 2024 is about $13.6 million. Yep. So that $2,000 in my example will just eat into that thirteen point six. And so when I fi- if that was the only gift I've made in my lifetime, that's required me to file a return. I'm just going to eat into that yeah. thirteen six, and ultimately, I wouldn't have a tax liability. Yeah. So you so, could you could pay that gift tax and not have you know if you want to preserve more of that lifetime. That's a uh, great point. Exemption. It would be a nice way to uh, capture the lower gift tax rate mm-hmm. because I'm not giving millions at that point. I was just giving a few thousand dollars, 
So it would be at a lower rate that, as I think you know, gra- graduates up to the 40%. Yeah. Um, so it would be a, a lower tax liability if I chose to pay that. <clears throat> and that $13 million we have today, that goes away in a couple years, and we don't know exactly what that will be, but roughly half or so of yeah. the current amounts. Unless Obviously, something... <laughs> so much of that plays into who's running things politically. Yep. Um, it's just the reality. And so right now, the way the law is written is it goes back t- in 2026 to, I think, five and a half to six million, because that would be inflation adjusted as well. Yep. So I've read different things where it'll be about five and a half to six million. Um, so that's an important step in if I'm gifting, do I do it now to capture the 13.6? Am I going to wait? Do I anticipate a certain party being in charge where the 13.6 might be extended? There's so much that goes into that, and that's why it's important. You mentioned the word organized. Part of being organized is having an understanding and a plan with someone to make sure that you're capturing uh, as much of the exclusion as you can. Yep. And everyone's situation is different and so many moving parts that can go into that. Absolutely. Um, What about the type of assets that people gift? So you have, you know, IRA and Roth IRA money that you can't really gift that to someone else. If you pull that money out of the account, you can't put it from your IRA and your kid's IRA. Uh, You'd have to cash that out. So generally that's not the best idea perhaps. But what about after tax funds and how does that work? When might that come into play as far as a, a gifting plan? Sure. So <laughs> I look at it in terms of like the best types of gifts to give, the types of gifts not to give, um, or prioritizing all of those. Fruitcake is not one of those, is or, it? Or pie. Or the pie, the pie was a good <laughs> gift. So the, I have it on my list as the best best gifts. It's the palate and pie. <laughs> um but that puts me over the lifetime because it's so valuable. <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, um, cash is, is always a good gift. Um, it's basic. It's We know the value. Um, an important consideration also is basis in all of this. So depending on what type of asset I give, if I'm giving um, a non-cash asset, it's going to have a carryover basis. And the importance there is if we're talking about a gift tax or even an estate tax on upon an inheritance, eventually there's might be an income tax component to this too, mm-hmm. which would come into play when the donee sells, ultimately so sells or gets rid of the yep. gift they received. That's down the road a little bit. Um, so cash is, is a clear, clean gift. Um, appreciating assets are good gifts to give um, from the sense of looking at it in terms of your exclusion. If I give a gift, let's say it's stock, mm-hmm. and today it's worth $250,000 a year from now. I accept your gift, Joe. I accept pardon? your gift. I accept it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be downstairs when, you, when we're done here. Um <clears throat> But let's say in a year from now, it's worth 500000 now. So that's that's a positive for the recipient. Um, the reality is there's going to be a, a tax associated with that for them when they ultimately sell. But that's better than the value going down. Yep. But as a donor, you've given a gift that only counted for $250,000 against your exclusion, but now it's worth five hundred. Yep. 
So it appreciated. So appreciated assets are better. Um, the other thing to keep in mind with that is in terms of better gifts to give, and this gets a little bit more technical and we can get into it too, but assets that help preserve other tax benefits. And so what I mean by that is if someone I'll say is fortunate enough to incur a gift tax liability or a estate tax liability, um, and I say that because if they've exceeded the lifetime exclusion, kudos to them because they've done well. Yep. Um, the tax piece is going to be there. There's, uh, it's just a reality you have to deal with. But the tax benefit that I'm referring to is in some ways there's uh, deferral options mm-hmm. in terms of uh, paying the estate tax. So specifically Internal Revenue Code 6166 uh, is an election that allows for a deferral of 14, 14 years and approximately nine months to make the estate tax payments, which also over that period of time, clearly there'd be an interest component. But what that does is it preserves, um, it, it keeps like, a, if let's say if it's a business that was received, there's not a liquidity issue that could come into play if having to pay a estate tax immediately. Wouldn't be a good thing. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Uh, might force someone to sell. Um, let's do an example where, let's say my parents give me a business um, or I inherit a business from them and it, there's an estate tax due with that. If I don't, if the estate doesn't have a way to pay it, you might have to divest the business, which you don't maybe don't want to do this preserves that, and there's some specific rules that go into play with that. Um, specifically, that closely held business needs to be greater than 35% of your total estate value. Okay. Um, so it, it's just, it's a way to keep that in your hands. Yeah, that's good. That's <clears throat> it. Uh, that's a good example, too, of how this ties into the pie and all the pieces working together is if you have an inheritance, you have estate taxes that need to be paid, it's hard to sell 25 or 40% of a business quickly to pay those estate taxes. So making sure you're planning ahead if you have an issue like that, that you have enough liquid assets that you can tap into in good and bad markets to be able to cover that. And it is a bummer Tony missed today because section 6166 is his favorite part of the code. So so I'll make sure he... He watches this. He recites episode. that to me when I see him come in the building sometimes. <laughs> so I, I understand that. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, some people that we meet with? Sometimes people will say, I want to put, I want to gift my house to the kids. Why, from a, a tax perspective, might that not be as good of an idea versus passing the house to the kids after you're, you're gone? So to me, the, the answer to that clearly raised relates to the basis aspect of it again. So we mentioned basis before. Um, A gift receipt or a recipient of a gift is going to take a carryover basis in in an asset. Mm -hmm. Um, If I receive a, a gift or an inheritance, if I receive an asset upon death, the basis step up rules come into play and allow me to now have a basis in that asset. That's the fair market value at the date of death mm-hmm. of the, I'll call it the donor or the, the decedent. Um, 
So let's say, let's say my parents have a house that's worth $500,000 and they paid for it 30 years ago. They bought it for Mm $50,000 and they have a $450,000 gain on it and they decide to gift it to me. Um, And they want to see that because they're still alive and they get a big smile on their face. They've given me a a nice value home, but they've also passed it to me with a $50,000 basis. Alternatively, in your question, if they're to wait till they pass away and now I inherit that home, I have a basis in it of $500,000. The importance of that is if I don't intend to use that home or if I don't want to keep it for something, I'm going to turn around and sell it. Um, If I sell it after receiving it on their death, most likely I would not have a tax gain on, or, you know, an income tax gain on that. If they gifted it to me and I sold it, I would have a approximately in our example, a $450,000 gain. So it's an important difference. That is a big difference. So that's tough too. Sometimes people want to gift to their kids, their grandkids while they're alive. And oftentimes that's when people need it more earlier in life versus getting towards retirement or into retirement. The the other interesting thing with that question, and, and I don't hear this a lot, but if they want to do it during their life, and they want to basically see the smile. And if they know that the uh, recipient doesn't have any intention to live there, it might be a better strategy for them to sell the home. Hopefully they have met the rules that are in place for uh, excluding gain on sale of a personal residence. Yep. So then they wouldn't incur the gain because if we go back to that example I gave, if that's a $500,000 home today and it has a $50,000 basis, if they're able to exclude any of that gain, they could still give you the proceeds, mm-hmm. still see the smile on your face. I'd have a smile on my face if my mom gave me $500,000. <laughs> um, so they would still get that joy, but they wouldn't leave you with a tax bill. Yeah, good. So yeah, planning how all this comes together, the emotional aspect, but the financial aspect as well. There's different ways to approach that. Correct. Um, Switching gears, for most people, they're tax-deferred assets. So they're IRAs, 401ks, different types of retirement plans at work um, are their biggest assets. And some people have moved money over time into Roth or tax-free assets that's the most common thing that comes up is if people wanting are wanting to earmark some of those assets for a kid, for example, or a grandkid, you want to look at tax differential, you know, the tax arbitrage, if you will, if mom and dad are paying taxes here and the kids are in their prime earning years when they inherit that money and they're paying that's a good point. taxes here, you inherit an IRA or a Roth IRA, you've got to pay that out over a 10 year period of time. So that would be something where if you're planning to give those assets away eventually, it might make more sense to convert those more aggressively into Roth. Correct. Would you agree with that? Correct. I would agree. And they still have that 10-year clock. They have to liquidate the account, but they're liquidating it at no tax cost at right. that point. So that's something you want to plan ahead for. Can I mention one other thing too? We were talking about uh, best gifts to give and, and not to give. Um, in the not to gift section, Clearly, it's you can just take the inverse of the best ones to give, right? So yeah. we talked about appreciating assets are 
good assets to give. Obviously, then a declining asset is probably not the best asset to give. Yep. But I wanted to bring the not to gift assets up because there's a couple, some other important ones where let's say it's, it's uh, a business interest that someone's thinking about gifting to someone else. Um, an important factor to consider is there's certain things you could do that your intentions are good, but you could step on the tax classifications that you have. And where I'm going with that is let's say I, let's say you and I, Jeff, are 50% a piece owners in an S corp mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I decide to give my 50% to, let's say I have 120 relatives that all want to get a piece of the pie mm. bring up pie again. <laughs> so now you're, you're an S corp owner with 120 other people. Um, the problem with that is there's limitations on the number of shareholders in an S corp, which is a hundred. Okay. So now my gift has blown our S election and we are now a C corp. We're uh, paying double tax. Yep. And which was not the intent of how we structured this entity when we set it up. So mm-hmm. might be a stretch of an example, yeah. but I think it could happen uh, more easily than maybe we think. And it's to me, it's all about the organization again and, and knowing uh, how are we doing this? Yeah. Is this the right thing to do? And there, even if that doesn't apply to anyone that's listi- listening, there's so many nuances to the tax Correct. code and so many, and we've talked about a number of those over the years of so many, not necessarily loopholes, but things to be aware of that could work in your favor or work against you, depending right. on. So, and, and on that point, even with, we mentioned Tony's favorite section, <clears throat> 6166, and I'm surprised he hasn't called in and brought this up while we're on, <laughs> on here, but it might not always be the best thing either. So if, if we've enacted that and it's we're, we're happy because we're deferring our estate tax payments, does that do anything else from a business perspective? Um, one of the examples I think of is in terms of creditors, would creditors look at us as a business and say, oh, you're riskier now because you have this big tax liability. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds great, but it, it's just another example of a, having to think of all the factors and, and utilizing assistance from someone. Yep. That's good. Good. Yeah. A lot of different things to be aware of. Um, and I almost forgot we were going to cover this at the beginning, but uh, Joe and I both big fans of uh, dad jokes and yeah. our exchange. I have no tax related dad jokes, but <clears throat> I don't know if we've ever had touched on that in the dad joke. Text. No. We, yeah, we haven't. So um, yeah, we, we'll have to, let's see, share, share one with you. Um, I was uh, had a meeting with a couple here recently and they were having a, a discussion about their kitchen remap model and uh, they kept coming up with counter arguments and uh, just went on and on. <laughs> I love it. I need so to work great. on that delivery on that one, but <laughs> that's great. Well, I was thinking of one too, where um, I was trying to think of one to share, but I've been a little distracted. We've been watching my sister's dog the huh. last week or so, and it it ate all the Scrabble pieces. We had Scrabble out playing it over the holidays, and it ate all the tiles. Um, thankfully, you know, we brought it to the vet, but we have not gotten a word yet. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we might get some replies that we could have yeah. left the dad jokes off today, but I like that. I like that. That's Thank good. You. <laughs> 
Um, we have uh, tax season now that we're in January here. Uh, tax season coming up, and part of your your daily to dos and is doing taxes, Joe. And any words of advice, words of words of wisdom that you have for people in getting ready for this tax season? Absolutely. I think I always go back to organized. You know, I like how you use that term uh, as we got started here um, in terms of estate and gift planning, that kind of thing. But it also implies applies with income taxes. Um, what do I mean by that? Books and records. Do you have things put together? Um, can I give an income statement and a balance sheet to my tax preparer? Do I have all uh, supporting documents ready? Um, that's to help us uh, from a prep and compliance perspective. What can we do from a tax liability perspective? Um, few things, you know, I'd be making sure that we're taking advantage of all the deductions we can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're put in place to be utilized. It's not about, uh, there's tax tax evasion and tax <laughs> avoidance. Tax evasion gets you in trouble. Tax avoidance is smart. Yeah. Um, I like to think of that as proper planning and not paying more than we're required to. One involves an orange jumpsuit and one doesn't? Correct. <laughs> That's correct. Um in addition to public accounting, I had a number of years working with the IRS and they're testing for compliance. Could have left that out, Joe. Could have left that <laughs> it, it, it was a valuable learning experience living on that side of the table for a while. Yeah. But the reality is they're testing for compliance. They're not necessarily looking to make sure they've gotten every single dollar out of you that they can. So what I mean by that is they'll go in and they'll look at a handful of areas and if those areas are up to snuff in their eyes, they're moving on to the next thing. They're not going to sit and typically go, you know, line by line and make sure yeah. uh, everything's square. So if you're organized and you have support for things, that's the best way to operate. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in terms of a li- tax liability, you know, taking advantage, like I said, of all the deductions you can, um, taxpayer friendly things like bonus depreciation. Mm-hmm. Am I planning to buy any assets that would qualify for bonus depreciation? Well, is it better to do it in December than January? Um, obviously, there's a cash flow analysis to that too. Yep. Um, but just as the gift uh, exclusions, lifetime exclusion is going to adjust, they're also adjusting bonus as we work through the next few years. And the amount of bonus depreci- depreciation is dropping 20% per year. Mm-hmm. Um so I think in 2024, it's going to be at 60% okay. immediate right off of an asset. So if you know that and you're going to buy something in December of 24, it's probably better to buy it then than it is in January of 25. Yeah. So then it goes down to 40%. So that's a taxpayer-friendly thing you want to take advantage of. Yeah. Um, the other one from a calendar perspective that you know I, I like to look at things that what can we do after the years past Usually that's when people ask. They should be asking you during mm-hmm. the year, what are we? What can we be doing? But oftentimes the retirement uh, options yep. um, allow you to go up to tax filing day. So do I want to contribute more to my retirement? Have I put in as much as I can? Um, it's better to give yourself money than the government. Yep. I would think everyone would agree with that, hopefully. Yep. Um, trade-off there is it's not dollar for dollar. It's you're, you're gaining a deduction. Um, so you're reducing tax liability by that tax rate. Yep. That's good. Um, a <clears throat> couple things that 
come to mind for me too is just like in healthcare, if you have a doctor and you see your doctor, you have to be an advocate for your health and be proactive, ask good questions, think about things. Uh, don't, as I like to say, show up on your tax preparer's doorstep and throw them a shoebox with the requested documents and run the other way is be proactive and think about some of these things is a important one. Um, and also one of the things I do that kind of worked out over time is have a list of the prior year's deductions that Correct. I've used. And when I prepare the gather everything to meet with you for the new year right. is I go through last year's deductions to make sure I brought everything over and I have that for the new tax year. Right. That saves you a little bit of time and make sure you don't miss something. Correct. So, yeah, those are some great ideas. And uh, yeah, thank you very much, Joe, for Absolutely. joining us here today. And again, folks, if you haven't yet, please uh, give us uh, an honest review. We'd appreciate it on whatever uh, podcast app you're listening to. Take a moment and let us know what you think about the show. Uh, give us a great rating. We'd really appreciate that. It makes it easier for other people to get opposed to the, uh, exposed to the show, not opposed to the show. Uh, but thank you for joining us again, uh, Paladin Financial Talk. If you have any questions, you want to come in and meet with us and get a complimentary second opinion on your pie and how all those pieces work together, give us a call at 651-842-8406. You can also visit us online at paladinfinancial.com or email us at info at paladinfinancial.com. And we always welcome for our regular listeners, if you have any questions that you want us to cover on the show, feel free to give us a call or send us an email with those. We'll be glad to cover those in one of our upcoming episodes. And uh, have a great week. Again, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Paladin Financial Talk. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, please contact Jeff Foley at Paladin Financial. Call 877-219-3199 or visit their website at financialpaladin.com. Advisory services offered through Paladin Wealth LLC, a Minnesota registered investment advisor. Paladin Wealth LLC offers advisory services under the DBA Paladin Financial and Paladin Wealth. Insurance products and services offered through Paladin Insurance LLC. Paladin Wealth LLC and Paladin Insurance LLC are affiliated companies. All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. We are not affiliated with or enforced by the Social Security Administration, the Federal Medicare Program, or any other government agency. Calling this number will direct you to a licensed sales agent.